Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Buddhang tamang sanghang namasami Oh, this is the first of the Sunday afternoon talks for the uh, Rains Retreat of this year, 2021, uh, 2564 in the uh, uh, the Thai calendar. Um, and as you can see, I am not Lumpur Sumato, <laughs> even though that was uh, uh, what was uh, scheduled. Uh, so he will be giving the first uh, uh, first two of these Sunday afternoon talks, but. Uh, he asked if I would fill in this afternoon in his place, so I'm happy to do that. Uh, even though this is probably an experience of separation from the loved, piehi vipayogo dukho. But um, yeah, the, uh, I often say adaptability is the, um, uh, the, the way to happiness, and so that uh, uh, I ask for everyone's indulgence. To, uh, to not be too disappointed that Lumpur is not sitting up here uh, this afternoon. Uh, it's also the uh, the moon day, the half moon day, so this is a sort of combination of a, uh, an observance day Dhamma talk and a Sunday afternoon talk. The theme uh, that we have uh, uh, advertised uh, on the, the list, which I'll try to keep to, is the elephant's footprint. Uh, uh, and this is a... Um, one of the, the title of one of the, the uh, suttas in the Majjhima Nikaya, sutta number 28 in particular. And in this sutta, Venerable Sariputta uh, makes the comment that just as the footprints of all the, uh, uh, the other animals in the forest can be encompassed, can be contained within the footprint of the elephant, so too all wholesome states can be encompassed within the Four Noble Truths. So that's quite a, a, a significant statement. And so uh, I thought that uh, when Lumpur suggested that he give a, a, a talk on the Four Noble Truths, that uh, this was a, a, a way of looking at it or a way of, say, exploring that quality. Another of the comments that the, the Buddha makes in the teachings is, yeah, where he, it's quite an emphatic statement um, that he's, uh, where he says, it's because of not understanding four things that you and I and all living beings have had to travel and trudge through this long, long round of, of birth and death, through this, uh, the great uh, turnings of the wheel of, of samsara. And what are those four things? Dukkha, uh, the experience of unsatisfactoriness, suffering, uh, the, the cause of dukkha, uh, the cessation of dukkha and the way leading to the cessation of dukkha through not understanding uh, in a full and complete way these four things that you and I and all beings have had to travel and trudge to go through this endless round of of, re, uh, of rebirth, redeath, rebirth, redeath uh, within the space of, of many lifetimes or just within the space of a, 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 a day the psychological births and psychological deaths that we all experience so that's a, to me, that's a very, a very emphatic statement, and saying this is the, 
the, the key knowledge, this is the principal knowledge, this is the thing that we really need to learn, we need to understand this, and if we, uh, if we understand this, if we know this, then uh, the, that is what leads to, uh, to uh, the quality of uh, freedom from suffering, Dukkha Nirodha. When uh, Venerable Sariputta uses that, that uh, languaging of uh, all wholesome states uh, are contained within the Four Noble Truths, um, one of the, the things to, to reflect upon around wholeness, or wholesomeness, is that it's related to wholeness, to a sense of uh, completeness, of fullness. And so that it's, uh, to me, that, that points to the fact that it's through really taking to heart, exploring and understanding fully, uh, appreciating the uh, the qualities of the Four Noble Truths and develop, developing them to their fulfillment. That's what leads to that quality of, of wholeness. Uh, the, and that in that, I would say, that's what we mean by the realization of Dhamma, that uh, if we take Dhamma to be the, the fabric of reality, and that is the fundamental nature of all things, then what is wholesome is those kind of actions and attitudes and, and words that we use that lead to that realization of wholeness, that lead to the realization of Dhamma in itself. And uh, so that it's a, uh, um, uh, say a way that the Buddha is speaking to say, it's the Four Noble Truths, this, this particular crystallization of, of understanding, of attitude, of practice uh, in terms of... of um, of view and speech and action and uh, mind training. This is what leads to the realization of Dhamma and to the embodiment of Dhamma, fully fully being Dhamma. And uh, with that, bringing about the quality of great peacefulness, great great ease, the quality of uh, the realization of Nibbāna. Uh, Lumpur Sumedho does often uh, speak about the Four Noble Truths, as we know, and uh, this is why he, uh, when I asked him to to, um, to come up with a couple of titles for the, the the talks that he would be giving, these two talks, and uh, he uh, he came up with first of all Four Noble Truths and Consciousness and Mindfulness, <laughs> and so okay, <laughs> we can work with that, um, and. Uh, one of the things that he was saying the other day about uh, the Four Noble Truths that uh, I, I feel is, is helpful to reflect upon is that it's a deliberately unglamorous teaching. It's, a, it's not promising a lot. It, uh, as Lumpur was uh, talking about it, he was saying it doesn't promise of union with the Absolute or you know, eternal happiness or infinite love. It doesn't speak in this kind of grand, colorful um, inspiring language it's a very sort of down to down to earth and and um kind of not uh not glorified or, or a very a very simple straightforward language it's not promising a lot on, on the surface but rather it's a, a very practical teaching and uh so it, it to me is rather like uh the um the idea of going to the doctor or to the dentist and, and the Four Noble Truths itself, as most people uh, might, uh, might well know, is uh, related to a, so ancient Indian medical uh, form of diagnosis and, and treatment. 
And so, you know, who goes to the doctor for fun? You know, who goes to book a trip to the dentist just to feel inspired? Or, uh, oh, I know what, let's go to the dentist today. <laughs> we, we don't do that. We, uh, um, you know, we, we, uh, we go to the dentist because our, our teeth are not in a state of perfect health or comfort all the time. We go to the doctor because we're not in, in perfect health. So it's out of a practical need that we, we go to the dentist, to the, to the doctor, we, we carry out the, those um, actions. Um, but the, the result of them is very important to us. That, uh, uh, that sense of, um, uh, say, rec- uh, of uh, the possibility of comfort or the possibility of health, the possibility of well-being is there. We know that, but we know we have to go about, we have to go about a particular uh, process. We've got to go through some, some changes, and not particularly comfortable ones necessarily. Um, the, going to the doctor or to the dentist, uh, we don't know what kind of treatment we're going to have. But the, the result of it, if the treatment is, uh, is effective, is that we arrive at the state of, of health. And so I feel that's a, it's a helpful way to, to understand the, uh, the Buddha's approach, is that it's extremely pragmatic. It's not trying to, to uh, see, dazzle us or, or promise us uh, anything kind of, uh, sort of fantastic or glorious, but it, it's uh, deliberately understated, it's deliberately simple. But uh, just as when we're ill, we're unwell, and we, uh, or, we ha- or we have a, uh, a toothache, we're really glad that we've been to the, to the doctor, we've had treatment, or we've been to the dentist and had that tooth fixed, because then we can, uh, ex- we can get on with our lives, we can experience a, a quality of ease and comfort. So I, I feel it's, it's quite significant and helpful to, to consider how the Buddha says this is the most important piece of knowledge. This is you know, all that uh, uh, all the wholesome states are contained within this, but yet uh, it's got a very simple container. It's, it's very uh, understated, uh, very um, say uh, um, uh, simple, subdued, and uh, and also uh, so easy to relate to. When the, the Buddha's disciples uh, sort of questioned this, or they they would want to to seek out or from the Buddha more um, say complicated or um, say uh, more grand philosophical questions, like you know, what's the origin of the universe, or uh, you know what's the 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 ultimate nature of the uh, of the Atman or the relationship between the 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 uh, the self and the universe, and so on and so forth. The Buddha put all those questions aside, and uh, in a particular dialogue that he had with one of his monks, Malunkya Putta, Malunkya Putta came to the Buddha and, uh, and had these questions about what happens to an enlightened being after the death of the body? Do they exist? Do they not exist? Do they both exist and not exist? Or what's the uh, the fundamental nature of the universe, and so on? And the Buddha. Um, declined to answer those. And then Malunkya Putta said, well, if you don't answer those questions, then I'm going to disrobe. And the Buddha said, well, when you became a monk, when you uh, ordained, did I promise you that if, uh, if you became a monk that I would answer these, these metaphysical questions? And Malunkya Putta said, well, no, you didn't. 
put it exactly. <laughs> I didn't promise you that. So, uh, you know, that, that's not something that uh, is, is, uh, has been spoken about. It's not, it's not something that has been revealed by me. And he says, why don't I reveal that? Why don't I talk about that? And it's not that he might not have been able to speak about it or give uh, some uh, kind of knowledge or um, some perspective on all of those uh, sort of metaphysical, uh, philosophical questions. But he said, I don't speak about it because it doesn't lead to peace. It doesn't lead to liberation. It doesn't leave, lead to, um, say, freedom from confusion. But uh, it doesn't lead to nibbana. What have I revealed? Dukkha, suffering, the origin of suffering, the cessation of suffering, and the way leading to the cessation of suffering. Why have I talked about that? Because that's what leads to peace. That's what leads to liberation. That's what leads to, to a great ease and freedom. That's why I talk about it. With each of the, the Four Noble Truths, uh, then... Uh, Again, as probably most people here at Amravati, but maybe not everyone who's watching or listening to this is so familiar, each of the four truths has a, a particular task uh, associated with it. So the, the Buddha laid out the, the four truths um, as a kind of medical diagnosis, whether that existed in his time, and he used the medical model uh, as a way of expressing this this understanding and this this teaching, this practice, whether that existed before or whether he gave this teaching and then the medical model arose after, scholars disagree on this particular point. <laughs> the, they go back and forth, but whichever way it was, uh, you can see that the four noble truths are laid out uh, in this fashion, uh, like as if it was. Uh, a, a, a way of talking about a spiritual disease. So dukkha is the symptom. That's what. That, that's the uh, uh, the uh, say the that which is experienced at the surface. That feeling of dissatisfaction, of incompleteness. That it's that feeling of it shouldn't be this way. I, I don't want it to be like this. Like if you're disappointed that Lumposamade is not sitting up here giving a dhamma talk <laughs> this afternoon. That. Uh, the uh, um, that sense of of uh, of discontent, dissatisfaction. If only it wasn't like this. If only it was like that, then I would be happy. So uh, dukkha. Also, it can be something uh, related to a pleasant experience, like a beautiful mind state, or a uh, a, a delightful uh, say um, a delightful day where the weather is exactly as we like. And then the dukkha of that is. The, the mind taking hold of it and trying to keep it, trying to hang on to it and and um, relishing it so that then when the next day is a bit grey and rainy or windy and uh, what we don't like, then it creates the causes for disappointment. So the, 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 the symptom of that spiritual disease, this malaise, dukkha, is uh, that's what shows at the surface. And so then the, the way of working with that, the task involved with dukkha, is that it needs to be uh, acknowledged, or it needs to be uh, understood. Parinyayanti uh, is the, the Pali for that. Parinyayanti. Dukkha is to be apprehended, to be appreciated. Then the second part, second noble truth, that, uh, is there is a cause. Uh, there's, this illness has an origin, it has a cause, uh, and that that cause is tanha, or self-centered craving, either 
uh, craving for sense pleasure or the more subtle kinds of craving of the desire to become, the desire to be, or the desire to not be, to, to get rid of, to not feel, to, to switch off. So karma tanha, the desire for sense pleasure. Bhava tanha, the desire to be, to become, to, uh, to, uh, to exist, um, that defined existence, uh, bhava tanha. Or vibhavatana, the desire, the desire to not feel, to not be, to switch off, to, to be numb, to, to not exist, to be annihilated. Vibhavatana. So these three kinds of craving, that's the, the cause of the malaise, the, the, the spiritual illness. And the, the, the appropriate task uh, associated with that is that, that that cause needs to be let go of, needs to, uh, needs, needs to be addressed uh, and to be... Uh, say uh, uh, to be let go of, to to come to an end, to to cease. Then the third noble truth is the prognosis. Okay, is the disease curable? So what uh, what's possible with this? And that, so the third noble truth is dukkha niroda. Yes, that quality of the cessation of dukkha, that that dissatisfaction can be uh, com- uh, completely dissolved. The heart can be totally free of that feeling of wrongness, of imbalance, of incompleteness, that's, uh, that's possible. That's uh, what the, 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 uh, the Third Noble Truth is, is declaring. That yes, that, uh, and, and using the, medi- the medical languaging of it, yeah, the state of health is possible. Uh, that, that is something that is, is achievable, uh, that, that can be realized. And the, uh, so the, um, the Pali for that realization is satchikata bhanti. It can be uh, it can be made real. Made uh, the truth of that can be uh, needs to be acknowledged, and it needs to be uh, so fully appreciated, fully known. And then the fourth truth is the treatment. Okay, how do you get from the cause from uh, from the the truth number two to truth number three? How do you get from the from the the cause of the illness to the uh, to being cured of the illness, and uh, the fourth truth is that treatment, uh, the, uh, the, the path leading to the ending of suffering, the, uh, the magga, or the, the, um, the way of practice. And that's what we call the Eightfold Path, or summarized as sila, samadhi, and panya, virtue, concentration, and wisdom. And that's to be developed, so that the, the treatment needs to be followed. <laughs> uh, again, if uh, if you go to the uh, to the doctor and the doctor gives uh, gives you medicine, then if you don't take the medicine, then uh, you won't recover. If you don't have the surgery, then you won't recover. The, so that the treatment needs to, to be followed. So, uh, with, with respect to the the four noble truths, again, as Lumpur Sumedha would often point out, they aren't just articles of faith. They're not just ideas to be believed in. And I say, oh, this is so important. It's because of not understanding this that you and I have been uh, forced to to travel and trudge around the uh, the, uh, the the endless cycles of birth and and death. Uh, uh, therefore, it's really important. So we take the ideas and then we worship the ideas, but rather. Um, the uh, um, it's not just the the holding onto the ideas and cherishing the ideas, but it's following these tasks through, understanding what the tasks are, and following them through. That's what really makes a difference. That's what brings that realization of wholeness. That's what uh, say 
leads this this life uh, to the um, uh, say the realization of its fundamental nature. This heart, this mind knows uh, can know itself fully and completely. Can know that reality of its fundamental nature fully and completely. So each of these uh, each of these tasks they present their own challenges. So when we uh, we ex- uh, experience dukkha, then we, we're feeling unsatisfied. We're feeling uncomfortable. I, I don't like this feeling in my in my back or my leg. I don't like this conversation. Uh, I, I don't like the the uh, the weather. I don't like living with this person. Or uh, I uh, I wish I, I didn't have this this illness. Or uh, I wish I was living somewhere else. Or yeah, I wish this was over so so I could get onto that. That. Uh, when we experience dukkha, or that something beautiful and pleasant that we're trying to hold on to, then the uh, uh, what we what we do with dukkha, uh, there's that feeling of dissatisfaction. Uh, out of habit, is we uh, we distract ourselves from it. We just uh, fill our mind up with something more so entertaining or interesting, or or we switch off. We just uh, kind of, uh, go to sleep and go numb, stop feeling. Or we blame someone around us, we blame uh, the person in the next room, or we blame the government, or we you know, blame our, our family or something. You know, we we uh, uh, say, don't acknowledge that quality uh, of dukkha as an experience, but rather there's a, a, a either wallow, wallowing in it, getting lost in it, feeling guilty about it, or blaming somebody else for it, or, or trying to to get away from it, so the very that very first task of parinyayanti dukkha is to be uh, studied, is to be known. Par, like the the word parinya in in Pali, uh, I believe it means the, to 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 study or to uh, like going to a university, you know, or going to a school. <laughs> you take the subject and you study it, you explore it. So that's really the 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 first uh, the first task is that. In a way, uh, so much of our life is uh, not following the habits of how we relate to fr- to frustration or excitement or fear or aversion or or discomfort. To get to know those instinctual reactions and to say, okay, <laughs> rather than running away from this or resenting it or fearing uh, what it's going to turn into, let's bring the attention right right to this. And uh, in another teaching, the Buddha pointed out how you know suffering. Dukkha ripens in two ways, either in more dukkha or it ripens in search. Uh, and uh, search means um, there has to be an alternative to this. This can't be um, the, uh, the only possibility. There has to be a way that this can be worked with and, under, uh, and, and transcended. Now, what is that? What's the way to work with this? What's the, what's the best method of handling this? So that, uh, and I feel that it's a very short teaching, a very simple teaching. I think it's in the Book of the Sixes in the Anguttara Nikaya, the numerical discourses. I'm remembering it, uh, Sutta number 63, but that could be wrong. <laughs> anyway, it's uh, uh, just helpful to remember that dukkha ripens in two ways. Either more dukkha, 
that if we try to evade it or we switch off or we just distract ourselves, we blame other people uh, or just wallow in it, feeling guilty and, and uh, creating a lot of self-view around it, that just creates more dukkha. That is right there, uh, creating more of the causes for discontent and, and struggle and, and suffering. But the um, that that quality of search is the, a, a pathway leading out and that... Uh, again, when the, the Buddha talked about uh, the um, uh, this say picking up of dukkha and exploring, then along with, with that quality of search and exploring, then there's the uh, that gives rise to to faith, to sadha. There's a recognition of yeah, that there is a way out of this. It's like if you are um, you know, addicted to something like to to um, tobacco or caffeine or, or alcohol or whatever uh, uh, substance it might be, that you can recognize, yeah, there's a way I can live without having to be smoking or without having to be taking caffeine or, or the, uh, some other addictive substance. Freedom from addiction is possible. So, okay, that, that, that's definitely doable. I can do that. So in this way, there's that faith is that, yes, there, the heart can be free of dukkha. And not just as a belief or a hope, but there's a, an intuitive uh, recognition. Yeah, that's possible. And then that that faith then leads on to a, um, a quality of, of physical ease, mental ease, to contentment, and that contentment then supports the quality of samadhi, of mental focus, which then leads to uh, to insight, to the knowledge and vision of the way things are, which leads to letting go and to to liberation. So, uh, and uh, the, there's a particular teaching again in a sutta. That's called. It's known as a transcendent dependent origination, where the Buddha speaks about that uh, dukkha giving rise to faith, and then leading from that that basis to the the, the realization of of freedom, liberation. Yeah. But starting at that, or, or say hinging at that point of relating to dukkha in a, a different way. So when we talk about the skillful way, the task related to, to dukkha, that parinyayanti, it's that kind of, okay, let's look at this. It's not a matter of whether it's my health or this person in the next room or the government or my family or my uh, this or that event in my past. Right, right now, here is this feeling of wrongness. Okay, this is, this is dukkha. This is what it feels like. Idang dukang. Yeah, this is dukkha. Here it is. It feels like this. So that's the... Uh, the the challenge in a way that, that all of us face you know, many times a day uh, in all uh, for most of us I would say that uh, getting to to know the the uh, the familiar habitual reactions around dukkha and to instead make it a uh, a subject of, of study <laughs> to get interested in it and in the the forest tradition which we which we come from which is a, the basis of our, our mode of practice. Uh, a familiar phrase in the forest tradition language is the suffering that leads to the end of suffering. And that our, our, our life and the Dutanga tradition, the, the austere practices that uh, that we pick up and to, uh, and use as a, an active part of our training, they're designed <laughs> to help, uh, say, uh, bring the attention to that quality of dukkha so that the mind can be, say, uh, Supported in studying it, getting to know it, 
And through that knowing, through that, that exploring and studying, that uh, then it's dukkha, it's still painful, but it leads to the end of dukkha because it's encouraging that quality of exploration, of, of examining and, and, and uh, seeing how it works. So dukkha needs to be, uh, to be studied, parinyayanti. Um, and uh, <coughs> that's, that's challenging in itself. I remember uh, many years ago, I lived here from 1985 to 1995, uh, there was uh, one of the other monks that I, um, I, we worked alongside each other a lot. We, we shared a, an office together for quite a long time. He's not here in the room. <laughs> But uh, we we shared a, an office and worked together for a, a long time, and so there was often sort of differences of uh, of style or differences of opinion or, or d- difficulties in working together, one kind or another. And uh, uh, there was a particular patch um, for about a month or six weeks where I was experiencing a lot of struggle and and, and finding it really difficult to to work with this person and finding I was. Uh, uh, wrestling with this and and um, trying to practice loving kindness and patience and, and uh, failing <laughs> uh, repeatedly and um, and so uh, it, w- it was very uh, it was really curious because I was part of me was trying hard to work with this with this person working with this this uh, situation and um, uh, the uh, the kind of e- e- my effort was sort of sincere. But it was me trying to do something to fix me or fix them or fix the situation, <laughs> and uh, and you know, in the morning chanting, uh, the, you'll remember that we uh, in the um, the second part of the morning chanting, the, um, the where we go through various aspects of the teaching. Then, and when it describes the the quality of dukkha, uh, we have apiehi uh, sampayogo uh, dukkho to association with the disliked is dukkha. Piehi vipa yogo dukkho, separation from the liked is dukkha. Yampi chang narabati tampi dukkhang. Not getting what you want is dukkha. And so, I forget what it was, I was in the sala, and I think I was sort of tidying up the, the mats after the mealtime was over, so in the middle of not doing anything special. And it suddenly hit me, this is association with the disliked, and that's dukkha. Oh! And it was, uh, uh, it might not sound like very much, <laughs> but it was kind of because I wasn't trying to do something with that relationship or that, that working, the issues of working together. Um, but it was uh, the, 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 the familiar phrases of the chanting, you know, there in your memory. And just so, as I was rolling up the mats, when we, this is when we all used to eat together in the sala, sort of rolling up the mats and tidying things away, then this sort of uh, mental image of this, this other monk crossed my mind. And just association with the disliked is dukkha. Right, that's all. It's like, this is something that is disliked, the, and therefore dukkha. That's the cause, that's the effect. Oh, and again, it might not, it's difficult to convey, but uh, it suddenly put the whole thing into a different framework. It was like, uh, rather than wrestling with dukkha, trying to get rid of dukkha, wishing the dukkha wasn't there, or blaming myself for the dukkha, or blaming the, blaming the other person for the dukkha, it was like, oh, this is association with the disliked, therefore, uh, therefore dukkha. That's the cause, that's the effect. And there was a... a uh, a change of view. So uh, that was a really uh, a very kind of profound moment in many ways. It was sort of that 
that quality of, of faith. Of, oh, right. <laughs> this is the way uh, uh, beyond that. This is the way to, to work with that. And uh, so that, that uh, really, uh, really struck me. Uh, so this is when we talk about parinyayanti, uh, that, that study and that acknowledging. It's just turning the attention, in a sense, back 180 degrees from uh, uh, looking out there at what might be the cause of dukkha and to say in this moment this is what this experience is this is uh, not having what I want (laughs) having what I don't want and it feels like this and the more simple and direct the more wordless that is then the the more that 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 quality of dukkha is, is known simply as uh, an, uh, a mental event it's a flow of feeling it takes shape it's like this and there's uh, a, uh, a quality of freedom from it the heart is not identified with that uh, but rather there's a spaciousness that, that which knows the suffering isn't suffering that which knows dukkha is not dukkha so then with respect to the the second noble truth the uh, the cause tanha, then the, um, uh, the the Buddha names this as you know this is this is the the, the troublemaker. This is the, the cause of the the difficulty is this self centered craving, and so that um, there I feel it's significant that he names uh, uh, this uh, in the Four Noble Truths, but also in other places that uh, the. Um, um, that habit of grasping, of clinging, of, of craving, of self-centered uh, identification and attachment. This is, if this is really uh, uh, not just known and recognized, but then the heart is trained to then respond to that by letting go, that's, uh, that's what can help this disease, the, the malaise of, of dukkha, this, this quality of incompleteness or discontent. That's what can really... Uh, uh, lead to its resolution, to, to its cure. And so there's a, a, another of the teachings where the Buddha says um, that if someone has heard, nothing whatsoever should be clung to. If someone has heard that, then they've heard everything. Again, this is like, like saying the elephant's the footprint, like the Four Noble Truths encompasses, encompasses all wholesome states. The Buddha makes the comment, if you've heard that nothing whatsoever should be clung to, you've heard everything. If you've understood that, you've understood everything. If you've practiced that and you've realized that, then you've realized everything. <laughs> Again, it's a, a, a kind of extraordinarily emphatic statement. So this, as if to say, this is the only thing you need to know. If you know this, you know everything that it's important to know as a human being. Or like he said to Malunkia Putta, you know, you don't need to know about the fundamental nature of the universe or what happens to an enlightened being when the body dies. What you need to know is dukkha <laughs> and the ending of dukkha. What you need to know is that clinging, grasping, uh, self-centered craving, this is the, the, the cause of uh, the difficulty. And when that's let go of, then the, the dukkha comes to an end. That, uh, uh, so that... Um, the task involved with the second noble truth, pahatabanti, pahanati, is to is to let go of, to relinquish, to 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 soften the grip. And uh, 
<clears throat> one of the things that I feel it's helpful to to consider when we uh, is the way we use the English word desire because. Uh, this is a very, very common teaching in, in all Buddhist traditions. They speak about the Four Noble Truths and then desire is named as the cause of dukkha, the cause of, of dissatisfaction, of suffering. And so then it can be considered or, or it can be held that, or therefore any kind, of, any kind of wanting or directing, any kind of choosing is intrinsically uh, the, uh, bad and unhelpful, obstructive. That's what causes suffering. So it can easily be held as a kind of passivity. And so that in the meditation practice and in working with our lives, we can think, well, I shouldn't desire anything. I shouldn't want anything. I should just watch. I should just be. And uh, and, and I, I talk about this the subject over and over again because it is <laughs> so commonly sort of mis. Uh, misapprehended or, or, or held, I feel, in a in a, a way that's not uh, n- not in accordance with what the Buddha's uh, teaching is. Tanha literally means thirst, craving. There's always a self-centered, ag- agitated quality to that, um, and, and so it's not every tanha doesn't represent every kind of desire, every kind of directing, and and the uh, the other word that is most commonly used for desire. Or the sense of, of of giving direction and and will is chanda. Uh, uh, again, most people here uh, living here at Amravati will be familiar with this distinction. But uh, uh, it's just like like with hearing Dhamma teachings about the Four Noble Truths over and over again. <laughs> it, it's not a bad idea to to refresh one's uh, knowledge or acquaintance with that and bring the attention to that. Uh, so chanda. Uh, literally means interest or desire, uh, enthusiasm. It's the capacity of the mind to engage uh, uh, with uh, uh, an idea or a feeling or a a task and set a direction. And far from being automatically a cause of dukkha, chanda is uh, is, uh, something that's named as being a a necessity in order to practice uh, what they call the the four bases of success, the idipada, the very first one is chanda, to succeed at anything, um, to uh, carry out any kind of task to completion, there needs to be that interest, there needs to be that engagement, that sense of, yes, <laughs> this, is, this is worth doing. And so we shouldn't be afraid of, of that. So chanda is, a, is a, a necessity in order to bring about the ending of, of, of dukkha, in order to fulfill the potential that we have as human beings and to fulfill the purpose that we've sort of come to live at this place and we shave our heads and wear our robes and uh, to practice uh, as a, or practicing as a, a layperson here or, or the people tuning in from around the country, around the world, the, in order to, fu- to fulfill the aspiration to enlightenment, then they, the, there needs to be Interest. There needs to be that engagement, and there needs to be chanda. So uh, that uh, distinction between the two is, is, uh, I feel, uh, uh, along with changing the way that we habitually relate to dukkha. Another of the, uh, say, very helpful aspects of, of the practice is genuinely getting to know the difference between what does tanha feel like, what's a sense of craving, whether it's coarse or subtle. Um, uh, to get to know what tanha feels like 
and to get to know what chanda feels like, especially chanda um, related to to dhamma practice, what they call dhamma chanda, also the, the interest in dhamma, enthusiasm for dhamma. To get to know that that uh, say a difference of tone, and it can be a, um, a, a, say an easy example to to relate to is if you're walking somewhere and you're really determined to get to that that goal. You're walking uh, down to Great Gadsden or across the going for a walk through the through the woods across the valley or down to little Gadsden church you're like you you're striding along you're getting you're getting to that goal your your mind is fixed on that place where you're going to and you're um say caught up in that me getting somewhere feeling that uh, and that sense of, of, of urgency and try, uh, uh, tryingness to <laughs> me trying to get somewhere uh and uh, the difference between that, which I, that I would relate to or compare to, to tanha, that's that self-centered craving quality. So chanda is being uh, ready to to, uh, to go for a walk and to walk along and to be exactly where you are as you're walking. You can be even walking quite briskly, quite quite a, a good speed, but you can be completely peaceful inside. When I was on the, the last uh, tudong, uh, not the last one, but one of the last... Uh, Tudong walks I did. Uh, it was uh, with uh, with Nick Scott. After uh, we did a, a long walk together from through uh, through England from Chithurst Monastery to Northumberland uh, to Harnham Monastery in 1983. Before a few of you were even born, I think <laughs> 1983. And uh, uh, 25 years later, um, when I was living in the, the States, then. Uh, we um, Nick and I decided to to revisit some of the the stretches of that original walk and to to uh, say retrace our steps and meet some of the people who are, are still around to revisit some of the places. And on one particular day, uh, where where we had camped and we had, I think we had a particularly leisurely morning <laughs> at the campsite, and then uh, when we we looked at the map and we realized we were supposed to be in the town of Swaffham. To meet somebody who was going to offer offer us a meal, and um, it was something like uh, uh, ten miles to walk, and we only had, um, I think, uh, two uh, two hours or uh, two and a quarter hours to get there. And so Nick said, "Oh, we can't make it, Bante. It's, it's, it's hopeless. We're never going to do it." And I said, "Yes, we can." And he's usually the one who's striding ahead. He's much taller than me. And generally much fitter, but uh, uh, I thought, well, no, that person—they've—they've they've made the effort to be there to meet us. Um, let's do it. And uh, so uh, I kind of—I looked at my watch. <laughs> okay, okay, we've got two hours and fifteen minutes to get there. And uh, as people will know, we have a, a a time limit for when the meal can be offered and, and consumed. It had to be done by midday or by by one o'clock in the in the afternoon, as it was summertime. So there, there was a, a very tight time boundary, and uh, I just said, "Okay, let's let's do it." And I just set off. And I, uh, I didn't know how fast I was walking, but I just sort of let my body's intelligence run the show. <laughs> and we were carrying uh, substantial backpacks, you know, thirty or forty pounds of, of gear on our backs, and I just let my feet carry me. It was a very interesting experience. Uh, I ended up way ahead of Nick. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I was moving along at quite a quite a, a, a speed. We did get there in time, uh, so we did ten miles in in uh, two uh, two and a bit hours. I think two hours and ten minutes. I think it was. I, f I can't do the the sums in my head at the moment, but. Uh, but as I was walking along at this, this brisk pace, there was a, a feeling of great stillness inside, even as my body was, was charging along. I'm not making any kind of claim uh, uh, with that, but just uh, it was very, uh, uh, very striking how, yes, the body is moving along, carrying a, a heavy weight at uh, more than um, you know, four miles an hour or so, um, but uh, it's, it's this. <laughs> so even as the body is moving briskly through space there was and there was a goal and a time there was a a, a quality of uh, of peacefulness even as i was going along so that was really a, a a striking example of how yes you can be moving and yes you can have a goal but it doesn't have to be stressful it doesn't have to be uh, any kind of dukkha created out of it and because as we were going along it's like well we'll either get there in time or we won't. <laughs> we'll either eat, or we won't. <laughs> That's all right. And so uh, we we finally uh, we got there uh, in time. We met up with our, our 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 host, and we did have something to eat, which was um, agreeable. But uh, the the main uh, the most striking element of that was how even in the midst of of activity, vigorous activity, uh, and with a direction. Uh, and even t having time involved, the the heart can be completely uh, at peace with it, at ease with it. There's no no need to be stressing or or uh, being, uh, say, identified with that with that that uh, expectation or that particular goal. And uh, so that with uh, getting a feel for how chanda works, that uh, that sense of you set a direction. This looks like a good way to go. And then let go of particular expectations. The, the more the mind is fixated on, it's got to be this way. I've got to get there. I, you know, if I don't get there, it's bad. It's got to be this way. It mustn't be that way. As soon as we make a, a, a fixed expectation and tie the heart to that, and then we get identified with that, then we've created dukkha right there. So, and I, uh, living here at Amravati and having the various responsibilities that I do and all the different committees I sit on, there's a lot of setting direction, <laughs> making decisions and, okay, well, let's, let's do this, let's try that. And then, okay, let's, uh, let's see what happens. We do the best we can, we make the best choice uh, informed in the most complete way that we can do, then see what happens. And if it comes to a sort of fortunate result that comes out the way that you, you'd like, rather than saying, yes, I succeeded, or yes, we got that right, or yes, that's, uh, that's a big success, and getting drunk on that, um, uh, that oops, good result, you recognize, okay, well, that, that worked out well, that's agreeable, okay, what do we learn from this? And similarly, when you make a choice and it turns out really <laughs> uh, uh, not as you would wish, that it, it that turns out to be painful and uh, a waste of money and everyone's confused and upset, okay, well, that one didn't work. <laughs> okay, rather than, oh, uh, we're, we failed, I'm an idiot, how could I have done that? I was not so stupid. Instead, uh, uh, the mind relates to it as well. Uh, well, what do we learn from that? What's, uh, what's, uh, what's to be taken from that? What can be, uh, say, uh, an informing and helpful principle 
from that. So that uh, the mind relates. If, if we guide our actions and our words and our, our attitudes with, with chanda, with that sense of skillful directionality um, and, uh, and uh, energy and zeal, uh, freed from self-view, then it completely changes the way that the mind relates to success and failure, and that essentially nothing can go wrong, <laughs> even if you, you know you, you do still try, try to make the decisions and set the direction to to be of greatest benefit to everybody. But you're you're ready to learn from what what happens, and so that the the readiness to learn from the result is the priority. And if it comes out in a sweet way, okay, that's sweetness. If it comes out in a bitter way, okay, that's that's bitterness. But uh, the um, the way that we relate to goals and and uh, the effort that we make is is radically different. So that that uh, getting a feel for what's the difference between tanha, that craving, and chanda, that sense of interest. That is uh, uh, something that brings very uh, profound and helpful benefits uh, you know, over time. With respect to the third noble truth, then, uh, over the years when Lumpur uh, Sumedha would be talking about this, uh, he'd often speak more about the, the third noble truth and the aspects of, um, say, the work that needs to be done with that, or the task related to uh, the third noble truth, and, and many of the others, um, because it's, in a, it's the most subtle, or the, the least tangible or obvious. So the, the ending of dukkha needs to be realized, satchikatabhanti, satcha means truth, reality, Sachikatabhanti, it needs to be realized, to be, to be fully known, to be appreciated. And uh, as Lumpur would often say, peace is boring. Peace doesn't grab our attention. Uh, silence, peace, space, it's not what is, is interesting. Like the, you know, the, the space between uh, Venerable Dhammavijayo and Venerable Buripanyo is not as interesting as the people. The space doesn't have a name. That's Buripanyo there, that's Dhammavijayo there. The space between doesn't have a name. <laughs> it's not interesting. It doesn't catch the attention. The uh, uh, And this is how our whole sensory system works. We, we notice things that are moving, that are colorful, that are, uh, that are, are making a noise. Uh, our very ancient uh, conditioning of our animal system, our senses, is geared to, is it moving? Is it coming towards me? Can I eat it? Is it going to eat me? Is it coming into my space? I'm going into its space. It's, is this dangerous? You know, what, what's, what's going on? Can I, uh, uh, can I, uh, can I get it? Is it going to get me? And so on and so forth. So the, the way the mind relates to peace, space, silence stillness, is that it's interesting and it's noticeable for about three or four seconds after it's gone from being noisy to being quiet. Then the quietness stops being interesting because it's not a contrast to the noise. And it's like when a plane goes overhead, we've got you know, Luton Airport not far away, so frequent planes going overhead. So when the sound of the plane is there, then when the plane has passed by, we go, oh, well, Thank goodness that's over. How many of us notice the absence of planes when they aren't flying over? 
the 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 silent the absence of plane noise doesn't catch our attention it's uh, it's uh, the contrast we notice for a few seconds and then the 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 sensory system switches off we 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 start dozing we disconnect so it takes a particular kind of effort to notice space to notice silence to notice peacefulness stillness and again this is why i would say lumpur sumato speaks about this so often <laughs> because uh, uh, in a way what what's happening is that we don't notice the state of health when when the dukkha has stopped we let go of something we've realized there's there's suffering we've recognized oh it's because i'm grasping this being irritated with this person or i've got this this plan i want to succeed or i've got this uh, um, engagement i have to get to and then once that uh, has been let go of and then there's a relaxation that you've uh, then if that isn't fully realized then we just doze off or we get interested in something else we don't notice the absence of uh, of dukkha like uh, uh, how many of us uh, um, uh, those people who have got toothache aside how many of us have recognized today i haven't got toothache I don't ask for a show of hands. We don't do that, do we? It's like, oh my goodness, a whole day, you know, a whole week and I haven't had toothache, or a whole month I haven't had toothache. The mind doesn't do that. It's like, it's when the tooth starts aching, like, ow, this is really difficult, I should go to the dentist. <laughs> but once it's gone, uh, then that absence, the state of, of health, as it were, doesn't catch our attention. So that consciously bringing the uh, the mind onto the experience of peace and the 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 uh, absence of of clinging uh it takes a bit of effort it takes a, an engagement uh, because our, uh, our sensory system is not encouraging that you have to in a way go against the instinct and to train the attention to notice space silence stillness peace and then when when the mind does when there is that say bringing the that uh, to full awareness there's a, a kind of inner blossoming a kind of flowering of of the present the heart uh, opens to its uh, its own reality as dhamma the the dhamma of the 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 present moment the pachupana dhamma becomes uh, apparent as a peacefulness and ease a stillness oh <laughs> that we 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 are awake when we stop and really appreciate it then we're awake to that the akaliko dhamma the timeless dhamma the sanditiko apparent here and now dhamma when uh, when we train the mind to notice that if there isn't that training or that that effort then uh, it's glossed over it's like well there's nothing here like there's there's nothing interesting there's there's nothing special and so the the senses, our thinking mind, or our, our, our eyes, our ears, uh, the whole living system starts to look for the next interesting thing, the next thing that's moving or colorful, or next responsibility, or the next uh, next uh, excitement or worry or, or activity. Or with respect to the fourth noble truth, then... Uh, the, the task involved with that bhave tabanti it is to be cultivated or to be developed again sometimes uh, when people uh, uh, say talk about 
about the, the Buddha's teaching and particularly relating to Buddha's wisdom, they'll say like, um, you know, a journey without a goal or, or like, a, or Krishnamurti's um, statement, you know, truth is a pathless land. And that the idea of having a path or a goal is, it seems to be some kind of, um, uh, say, an obstruction or a kind of a worldly view. But the, it was not an accident that the Buddha talked about the path leading to the end of suffering. It's like because a path has got a destination, I would say. That's not an accident. The Buddha chose his words very deliberately. And so even though, um, yeah, if we're, if we're goal-obsessed or you know, goal-fixated, and I've got to get somewhere, I want to achieve this, I want to get that, then, yeah, that's obstructive. That's, a, a, that's a, say, something that is, say, a, a cause of dukkha. But effort can be made, direction can be, can be taken, free of suffering, free of self-view. And I, I feel that sometimes when that, um, uh, th- that kind of expression is used, when they say, you know, journey without a goal, or, uh, or that um, the, uh, the kind of, um, say, putting aside the idea of uh, of, a, of, uh, of a goal or of achievement or of a direction, it's again it's slightly missing the point because the uh, the uh, the necessity is that effort is made. Uh, the Buddha uh, uh, said in, in a number of places that his was a, a teaching of of action, of of, uh, of effort, of doing, um, and that. Uh, it's not a teaching of passivity. It's not a, a, a kind of dissociation. So that in terms of bhavi tabanti, the path needs to be developed. That uh, uh, that one of the the, uh, the and I was uh, I think emphasizing this at the beginning of our, our uh, week of group practice that's just coming to a conclusion today is that effort can be made free of self view, free of conceit. That. Uh, uh, direction can be given, effort can be made, work can can be done, just like walking, <laughs> walking vigorously along, but being completely uh, at ease with where you are. That can be done. So similarly, we can train the mind, we can make effort, uh, and give the direction towards the cultivation of, of uh, concentration, towards the development of mindfulness and wisdom, completely free of self-view. There's, there's uh, if if. Uh, if it was not possible for effort to be made without that being something that produces suffering, it couldn't be an element of the Eightfold Path, could it? At least in my logic. <laughs> that effort, If effort was intrinsically a cause of stress and difficulty, if it was, if it was something that was intrinsically um, uh, some, uh, a cause of dukkha, it couldn't, there couldn't be samavayama, there couldn't be an element of the Eightfold Path. So there has to be a way that effort can be made and uh, direction given that is free of self-view, that is not, uh, doesn't uh, conduce to, to dukkha. So with respect to, to that cultivation of the, of the Eightfold Path, again, uh, I feel a very helpful area of the practice is to get to, to know. <laughs> again, like feeling the difference between chanda and tanha, between, between interest and craving, uh, Getting to know the difference between effort being made with self-view, I've got to get this, I've got to get rid of that, I want to be this way, I don't want to be that way. Get to know that texture, that quality. And then to know effort being made free of self-view, 
What does that feel like? What's the quality of that? That vigorous and sincere committed effort can be made, but without any person being there, without there being any kind of I, me, or mine involved. And again, without in the, the development of the practice, the more that that kind of distinction can be recognised. That uh, like the like the live nettle and the the stinging nettle and the dead nettle. You know, they, they sit in the hedgerow side by side, and one is a stinging nettle and the other is is doesn't sting. <laughs> they look like each other, but they're completely different plants. So similarly, getting to know yeah effort free from self view and craving and effort that's uh, tied up with craving then uh, if we get to to know those get uh, familiar with those then the that direct knowledge that direct experience helps the 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 mind to be guided by mindfulness and wisdom it chooses the path of freedom from from dukkha and will say uh, div, uh, and the the development of the practice then naturally follows more in accordance and guided by mindfulness and wisdom it's in accordance with peace and it leads to peace so i see that the hour has gone by uh, these the like the the, the journey to swaffham the the, the, uh, the minutes fly by like the miles under the feet so i will leave uh, my reflections there and open things up for some questions if people have There are a couple of wandering microphones. If, um, if people do have any questions, if you would like to use the microphone, then that will record the questions. If there's no questions, that's totally fine. <laughs> I'm not seeking for any, but if there, there are... Any things that people would like to ask about? Okay, I take silence as A1, thus it is, so uh, we can draw things to a close. Usually if, it, if it's a, an observance day talk, then there wouldn't be any questions. If it's a Sunday afternoon talk, there are questions. So this is a kind of joint, <laughs> emerged reality. So we can leave it there for today. And so I, I hope that the, um, the transmission of this, um, this talk has worked out all right. We'll uh, find out from our video team in, in due course. But, uh, so hopefully next week, uh, Lumpur Sumedha should be offering some teachings. And the, the theme is uh, uh, mindfulness and consciousness. So hopefully he will be, uh, be present for that. And so uh, uh, I offer these thoughts for consideration today. <laughs>